everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. There was a lot of obstacles and barriers that keep people from advocating for themselves. And so I think that leaders are called to be advocates. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to Conversations. It's been a while since my last program. I was taught if you fall off a horse, stand up, dust yourself off, and climb back on again. So that's what I'm doing now, and I'm very excited to be with you again. My next guest wears many hats and only continues to grow in her prominence. Well, good day. Uh, my name is Bishop uh, Colette Matthews Carter, and um, I currently serve as the senior pastor of the Zion Hill World Harvest Baptist Church. And uh, fortunate to be prelate of the Covenant Fellowship Churches, and I'm excited to uh, be here. Thank you, Bishop Colette, for being my guest on Conversations. I am truly honored to have you here. I want to start by talking about the fact that you have so many titles ahead of your name. That's a lot of titles. <laughs> That's very true. So let's talk about your initial call into ministry. How did you get involved in ministry? Well, well, first of all, let, let me say, um, uh, Brother Brian, I appreciate um, you having me, uh, you know, have this interview with me. And, and even though I do carry a lot of different titles, you know, I, I, I certainly um, just see myself as um, just a person that, that wants to make a difference. So I don't, I don't take, you know, I don't carry it too heavily. <laughs> but um, I started in ministry uh, probably about 20... 22 years ago, I, uh, I grew up in the church, but I, I always had a, a sort of a sense for service, and um, I actually received my um, call into ministry. I felt the tugging of God while I was actually working in city government, believe it or not, and um, at that time, just accepting the call into ministry, it just totally changed the trajectory of my life. Um, at that particular time, I was, you know, working as a, as a public um, official, and, you know, I thought pretty much that that was going to be, you know, my um, career path, that I was going to stay in government, perhaps even go to law school, but just nonetheless stay in, stay in public policy, stay in, in government, but um, uh, again, I, I accepted the, the call into ministry, and then I, I left um, Syracuse and moved to Rochester, and uh, went to seminary there, and that that really was the, the beginning, but I would say that God had placed some ministry in my heart as a child, just always being active in the church and always just, you know, loving the Lord and always wanting to help people. You know, it, it, it was a, it was a natural progression for me. You know, some people say, well, you were, you were in government, you were in politics, and you went to ministry. It seems so different, but it is all about service, but it, you know, it was something that was always in my heart. And um, so then after I I went to seminary, I, I came back and, and got my first church, and, you know, the rest has been pretty much um, the location of ministry. Now, I have female family members involved in ministry, most notably my sister-in-law, who has been a pastor for a number of years, and I have heard a lot of conversations about how difficult it can be for women preachers, particularly those in the black church. Why do you believe that is? <sighs> well... Of course, I, I feel that ministry has always been 
perceived, or let, let me back up, let me say pastoring. Pastoring has always been perceived, uh, particularly in the black faith tradition, as a male role, you know. I, I don't think people have a problem with women being in ministry, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, children's ministry, you know, music ministry, you know, serving in, in other capacities of, of the church. But I think the pastoral role becomes problematic because I think that many view the pulpit as a, um, a male space. They view the pulpit as a place of power. That is not a place for women. And then, of course, you know, there's, there's various um, theological perspectives. But I think the deepest reality is that I think particularly in the African-American church, they see it as a, a seat of power for, for men. And so while, you know, that is an issue, I think for me, um, I just believed in my call. And so, you know, I, I just kept moving, kept pushing, kept trusting God to open up doors and to make a way. And, you know, I'm on my third pastor, and I've survived in 22 years, you know, just trusting God, but definitely having all of those hurdles, all of those, you know, um, obstacles and those, um, um, I, I call them prejudices to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. in the African-American church. What do you think are some of the things you have done and have instituted in your own approach that has allowed you to be successful? Well, I, I would definitely say making sure that this is something that God really wants you to do. You know, when I when I first felt the tugging of God, you know, I, I investigated it. I didn't just go running. You know, I thought about it. I contemplated. I prayed about it. You know, I talked to family and friends and at the time my pastor. And I, I was very thoughtful in my approach. You know, I didn't just say, oh, I have a call. It's going to go because I knew that the road would be somewhat difficult, you know, just based upon the things that we um, talked about. But I think women in leadership, period, is always difficult. I mean, being, being in government or being in politics or being, you know, a woman in a business owner or a woman, um, you know, at the higher echelons of, of any, um, you know, what business, government or whatever, I think it's difficult. But ministry is, is more so because I think just the sheer numbers are not there. I mean, there's, there's less women pastors, you know, than probably any other um, leadership role. Um, particularly in our faith tradition, but also in the country. And so I think for me, um, I just I just made sure this was something that God wanted me to do, and I just kept, you know, imp- implementing my faith, you know, through every every phase, every, you know, season, every um, elevation. I just trusted God. And also just having a great support as well, you know, people around me that, you know, believed in, in my call, believed in what, you know, God was speaking to me and, um, and just surrounding myself with a, a strong support and accountability team as well, um, because you know pastoring is not it's not easy for for anyone. I, I don't think it's, it's easy for for males either. But you know, I think I obviously had some additional hurdles to overcome. So I think all those things just kind of kept me on track, kept me focused. And no matter what else was going on in my life, you know, ministry was that thing that just kept me going and keeps me fulfilled. Definitely. Now, your ministry is somewhat unique in that there is a community development aspect or slant about your ministry. Can you talk about that and what that entails? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think coming coming from my background, growing up the way that I grew up, I had a very um, civic 
like-minded uh, father. Both my parents were real humanitarians. I mean, no doubt. Like, like for instance, my mom, although she wasn't in the public eye like my dad was, but she was such a, just a, a humble servant. I mean, she was the one that would, you know, visit the sick, make soup for, for people who were ill. I, I went with her to visit the, the sick and people in hospitals and nursing homes. She just had this real caring, nurturing spirit. So I kind of grew up with that. And then my father was uh, probably my greatest influence um, from a leadership perspective because uh, he was just a civic leader. He was strong. He was an advocate for um, the disenfranchised. He was an advocate for black and brown communities. And um, he was really sort of that catalyst for me to be about the beloved community. And so um, just growing up, that was just that was just who we were as a family. That's, that was just what we did. And so he took me to meetings with him as a child. I'd be over in the corner listening, you know, to some of his you know, community meetings. And he was involved in so, so much social justice work. And so I think that community development, that community piece just grew up in me. And so uh, then I got the formal training and the formal experience of being actually working in government. And that's always, that just carried with me. You know, I think I was able just to translate that to ministry and to, to always have that perspective that I needed to be about community development, even as a faith leader. And so it's just a part of my my experience. I believe in it. I think that all faith leaders need to have some type of community development understanding, some type of social justice uh, understanding, because I think that that's what we're called to do. I think we're called to be that prophetic voice for those who are disenfranchised and those who are downtrodden and people who can't speak for themselves. Aside from giving them Jesus, we also got to do the work of ministry. Mm. And while there are probably different approaches, you've chosen this route in terms of shepherding not only the spiritual needs, but also the practical needs of those you serve. Can you elaborate on some of the ways you accomplish this? Yeah, well, I, I think me, I am, I often tell people that I, I truly believe in social justice. And so... Um, you know, aside from feeding folks, I mean, that's something that, you know, our churches have always done. And I, you know, certainly have an emergency food pantry. You know, we certainly provide for people's physical needs through, you know, feeding, uh, providing clothes, providing, you know, material things. And, you know, over the years, I mean, those are just things that we've done. But I think another aspect that's even a deeper reality is the social justice aspect. And so I align myself with organizations and movements over the years that speak out against injustices, uh, whether it's, you know, economic injustices around housing issues or, you know, whether, he, you know, the situation with, like, the bill reform or, you know, criminal justice issues. Um, it could have, been, could have been issues regarding, you know, um, the treatment of, you know, law enforcement over the years. Just whatever issues that, that, that uh, have arisen in our community that were around social justice, you would find me in that space. Because I, I think that that's important because everybody doesn't know how to advocate for themselves. And there's a lot of obstacles and barriers that keep people from advocating for themselves. And so I think that leaders are called to be advocates. So, so social justice work is something that I'm always going to be about. And I also think that empowers people. Because I think that when people um, see leaders advocating for them, you know, to get jobs or, you know, to, to have better housing, that once they get that better life that then they are now empowered and hopefully will be able to advocate for someone else and take care of their family, their children, etc. And if you're just joining us, welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, B. Moore, along with my guest, 
the senior pastor of Zion Hill World Harvest Baptist Church, the Bishop Colette Matthews Carter. You mentioned earlier about your parents being major influences on your life, particularly your father. And I remember your father from many a community meeting that I attended years ago. And I just want you to know how impeccably dressed he was at those meetings. Those meetings. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I remember that more than the meeting. <laughs> it's like, wow. If I could have Always. this man's Always wardrobe. <laughs> Always wore a suit and a tie. You know, it was funny. My dad was a very serious man um, about advocacy. You know, he was. He always wanted to be an example, and he he really was just a remarkable father. And I know oftentimes people will memorialize their parents, but he really was. I mean, he was just he he, he had that fatherhood thing down pat. I mean, he was just impeccable. He was just a present father, and um, he was just a great community um, leader. And he he was always present. You know, he was always there. He was always made his voice known. That. You know, I, I, I'm trying to walk in those shoes. You know, I haven't quite filled those shoes. I, I'm not sure I ever will, but certainly he, he gave me the model, and I'll do my best. <laughs> sure, sure. What have been some of the lessons he taught you, and your mother as well, for that matter? Um, one, they, they always taught me to um, be compassionate, you know, to, to care. You know, I mean, that's the first step, um, to care about, what's happening around me, you know, don't, don't turn a deaf ear, don't forget, you know, kind of where you've come from, I mean, no matter how much education you get, or no matter, you know, how many uh, blessings, or what elevations you have in life, remember where you come from, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the, I tell people, I grew up in the 13207, I'm from the, I'm from the southwest side of Syracuse, and so, you know, that, that's who I am, that, that's my upbringing, and never forget where you've come from. You know, and always reach back to help someone. So that was kind of, you know, they, they modeled that through their, their actions, not just what they said. Um, and also to be true to yourself. You know, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you, where you, you know, where you come from. Um, remember your legacy, you know. And, and they also instilled a lot of black history in me. So, you know, I, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, develop some confidence because of that, you know, because they, they taught me black history. They, you know, they, they shared stories with my father, you know, he marched with Dr. King. Um, so they shared a lot of, you know, history and stories with me that kind of helped me to develop my, my self-identity and my self-worth. That's been helpful, too, and I might say even with ministry, you know, people, you know, you know, try to squash me down <laughs> or try to make me feel less than, you know, I remember those lessons and, you know, that, that gave me some, some stamina and some strength to press on. Yes, and you have been fulfilling those things, as you've mentioned, in terms of your ministry and in terms of aligning yourself with organizations most notably acts. I didn't mention this at the beginning because there are so many things I could mention, but in addition to your role as senior pastor at Zion Hill, you're also a board member of acts, better known as the Alliance of Communities Transforming Syracuse. Let me ask you, how did you get involved with acts? Well, it's interesting because I remember, um, I think it was probably about 20 years ago or so, and I was you know, young in ministry, um, just really starting off, but I remember when Acts really, really um, got off the ground um, in Syracuse, and at that particular time, my pastor, uh, Dr. Blessed Johnson from Tucker, he was, uh, that's my home church, Tucker Mission Baptist Church, he was a part of Acts, and so he invited the, you know, young ministers 
who are part of his um, staff to start attending some of the meetings. And, um, you know, that's how I actually got involved in the early years. Um, then, you know, I started pastoring and I moved away. And, you know, with a lot of movement and change. But I always remember, um, you know, some of the work that Pat did. And so once I established Zion Hill, I definitely wanted to introduce uh, my leadership team and members of our congregation who were interested in social justice work to ACT because I think that ACT has a, has a great um, sort of um, model, if you will, for leadership. At that time, we were under the Gamaliel Foundation. I actually got trained uh, as a community organizer through them. I went to, I remember going to St. Louis and got training. I know we're under a different um, institute now, Faith in Action. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I think that ACT has a, has a good model, and I know that we're, you know, reorganizing and restructuring to kind of meet the needs of, you know, 2020, if you will. But I, but I like ACT because it does stand for social justice, and it's about um, advocate, advocating for, you know, the voiceless. It's about standing up for, you know, social inequities, and it's about empowering people. And so that's what attracts me to ACT, and that's what's keeping me at the table uh, for this next phase. What are some of the things you are hoping for through yours and your congregation's participation? One of the things that um, we're doing right now, I'm involved in right now, is rebuilding the clergy caucus um, to get more faith leaders to be a part of, of this, this movement. And in particular, right now, with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of discussions about you know, the health disparities, and I've, I've been a part of, of, of that, uh, working with 1199 uh, and the healthcare workers. I've gone to DC and advocated for that, and uh, I've got some of my members involved. And so now, with the healthcare disparities that have already existed, it's more compounded now with the COVID-19 affecting black and brown communities. It's going to affect our communities, not just, um, you know, from a health perspective, but it's going to affect our communities economically. When we come out of this, our communities are probably going to be a little further behind than they were before the pandemic. Hi, I'm Brian Moore, owner of More About You, the producer of Conversations with yours truly, Be More. First, I'd like to thank you for listening to our program. But secondly, I'd like to call something to your attention. Just like my guest, I believe that many of you listening have incredible life stories to share. You see, More About You was started on the simple belief that everyone, and I mean everyone, has a story to tell. Unfortunately, many of those stories are lost and never shared nor passed down to future generations. More About You can help preserve those personal tales in ways that can be enjoyed in the present and also used to educate in the future. I invite you to go to my website, www.moreaboutyou.com, to see how I've done this for others. And you can call me at 315-863-2466 to discuss how I can do the same for you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, back to conversations. People lost their jobs. It's going to be, you know, perhaps even some housing issues. It's going to be people feeling displaced. It's going to be a sense of hopelessness. There's going to be a lot of things that's probably going to be the fallout you know, to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, even in Syracuse, even in small black communities, um, I think that our communities are going to be affected by just the fact that things have been shut down 
our ability to connect and to be out there, you know, uh, talking with residents and connecting with people and them coming to our churches. And, you know, that, that piece alone is, is causing a, a stress and a strain, you know, with the church doors being closed over the last four weeks. Unprecedented, it's totally unprecedented. That is causing a strain because people get strength from, you know, coming to church and just being around other people. So there's a lot of things that's happening and a lot of things that, you know, we're going to be a part of, um, you know, coming out of this pandemic. Since you mentioned the pandemic, let's talk more about that because this has affected you directly as far as being the leader of a congregation. What are some of the things you have done since the pandemic has come on? I mean, you've literally had to shut your doors and you can't bring people together, which is basically what the church is there for. Well, the first thing that I did, I was, I was aware um, just, you know, being being in the, um, you know, the public landscape, I was aware that the pandemic was coming, and you know, we were getting kind of updates of uh, what was happening. So I actually brought my leaders together, fortunately, probably about two weeks out. We were two weeks out from, you know, the, the kind of shutdown, if you will. And I said, you know what, I think that this pandemic is coming, and I think there's going to be some fallout. So I kind of tried to get them prepared a little bit to be able to connect with people. So I put ministers in place to just call people make sure that they have food. We have an emergency food pantry, so we've actually, you know, made some, you know, slots for people, you know, kind of putting on their, you know, their, their, um, um, uh, their porches, you know, to keep the social distancing. So we try to make sure that people, you know, have what they need. But also, you know, we've been utilizing technology as well. And so uh, we were fortunate enough to already have had an active, you know, Facebook page. So, you know, I do my sermons Facebook Live. Uh, we do Zoom meetings. So we just try to, you know, connect through the social um, um, networks, you know, that we have available to us to, to keep in touch with our um, parishioners, people that go to our churches, and to make sure that they're okay. And I try to just share information with them as well. You know, like if you, if you have a need, you can call this number. You know, so that's, that's what we've been doing, just kind of checking in with people on a, on a weekly basis. I've been sending out information to people, letting them know what resources are available, and just making sure folks are okay. How receptive has the congregation been to this new approach? Well, I think it's generational. Yeah, it's generational. It's interesting because I think before some of the older members, I have a few older members, you know, who have really been supportive of the ministry over the years. They weren't necessarily on Facebook, but, you know, fortunately they had, you know, individuals in their families who were. And so, like, you know, it tickles me because when I go on Facebook Live, you know, one of the family members would say, well, mother so-and-so, she's on, you know, she says, hello, God bless you. And I'm just like, wow, you know, the mothers are on Facebook <laughs> watching, you know, because that's all we had. I mean, there was, you know, before that, it was kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't do, I don't do Facebook, I don't do Facebook, but that's all we have right now. So, you know, they, uh, they're on, they're on. I would still have a few that, that aren't, so I'll make those calls to them, you know, just weekly, um, make sure that they're okay and, you know, pray with them. But so, so far, so good, you know. Um, of course, you know, it's always better to be able to connect physically. Um, that, that's just who we are as a church, you know. It's better to, to do it physically, but we're not able to. So I think people are just kind of saying, hey, this is what we have right now. This is what we're going to do. Do you see these new outreach strategies as an opportunity to reach people who aren't considered the usual congregants of your church? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that was one of the, Blessings, you know, I mean, certainly I have had uh, more people 
to view, you know, my sermons and to view some of the things that we're doing, our worship service uh, online, and actually walk through our doors on Sunday. And so that presented to me, oh, this is also, you know, an evangelistic tool that people are tuning in for um, inspiration or encouragement. And so I see us developing this even more so after, you know, the pandemic is over to continue to have a presence online because I do see an opportunity to connect with people. Uh, because, you know, when I see, you know, five or six hundred, you know, or seven hundred views, I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like amazed. You know, like, that's not a lot of views, but, you know, for, for, for me never having really done you know, our, our service online, you know, to get five or six or seven hundred views. That's a lot, you know. We don't get five, six, seven hundred people walk through our doors on Sunday, you know. So. Right, right, right. No, that's true. That's that, true. Yeah, so that, yeah, I definitely see that as a, as a, um, a, a blessing and an opportunity. So, what is your own personal take on this pandemic situation? What are your own reflections on what we should do now and going forward? Well, I really, 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 really think that this is now time for the leadership of our community to really come together. And I know that we say that all the time, and we've been making that statement for a long time. We need to come together. We need to come together. But, you know, I think it's true that this pandemic has revealed some things, has revealed that maybe in some areas we work together. You know, the faith community in our in our city, it would have been nice for us to have maybe stronger connections with each other, stronger connections with our faith organizations, you know, because I think we could have maybe come together a little sooner to help out with some things. I think it's happening now because we have to lean on each other. But I think the pandemic revealed, as part of one of my reflections, it revealed just how divided maybe we were in some areas, you know, um, as a community. And now the need for us to come together and how I do see some of that happening, I think is, is, is going to be a blessing coming out of the pandemic that I think we're going to share about each other a little bit more, that faith leaders are going to talk more. I've talked to faith leaders more during these last four weeks than I have you know, maybe in the last year or so. I mean, it's one thing to see people at events or see people at church, but really having heart-to-heart conversations through our Zoom meetings, through, you know, just, um, you know, phone conferences. We've had more conversations with each other about what's happening, how we're doing, how we're feeling, how's our congregation, what can we do, what do we need. I've had more conversations through the pandemic than I've had, you know, in times past. So I think that's going to be a blessing to come out of this, you know, I think that, you know, God is going to use this for our good. I think we're going to be more savvy to the real issues that are really confronting our community, you know, um, because I think this is going to reveal really where we are. I want to mention that through your participation in ACTS, you are actually going to be the recipient of the Reverend Nebraska Carter Clergy Leadership Award. I know that the accolades have multiplied over time. But between that and your numerous roles in the community, what does leadership mean to you? Well, well first of all, uh, Brother Brian, let me, let me just say how honored I am. I, you know, when I got the call from, um, I believe it was 
afraid they called and said I was getting the award. I, I was just like, really? <laughs> because I never, I never think that the work I'm doing, you know, warrants a reward or an award, I should say. I think it's just something that I should do. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was just honored to receive the award. Certainly I have so much respect for uh, Superintendent Nebraska Carter, who has just been just an absolute pillar, pillar of this community. And uh, he's also one of the ones, one of the, one of the faith leaders, one of the very few that I have seen over the decades to always show up. He's always present. He's always he always shows up. He always has his voice, and so to receive an award um, named after him and based upon the work that he's done was just a just an, an, an honor, an absolute um, an honor, honor for me. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Well, leadership means many things uh, to me, um, but I think probably the core of leadership is really about building relationships and I, I often say that because I, I think that's what leadership is about. Leadership is about building relationships with people, um, being present, uh, listening and hearing uh, what the needs are of a community or an organization. I see my role um, as a leader and, and that being present and also being a part of, of a team. You know, um, I know sometimes, particularly in the church, when people hear the term, you know, pastor or bishop or, you know, these, these big titles, you know, sometimes people look at that as someone that you need to serve. But I look at a leader as one who, who does serve. So I don't look to be served. I look to serve. And that's always been my perspective. I appreciate, you know, the respect. I appreciate, you know, when people, you know, do nice things and, you know, want to, you know, um, you know, just honor honor me for, you know, whatever role I, I play. But but I feel more comfortable being amongst the team <laughs> and, and, and being in the trenches with people um, as I'm leading. I think that leaders lead by example, by doing, not, you know, being distant. I think we need to be present. So that's a little bit about... Um, how, I, how I see my role as a leader. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share? Well, I'll just say one, one small thing, you know, that I think um, that our communities, uh, communities are, are in crisis, and I think it's just all hands on deck. So I just encourage whoever might be listening, whoever might tune into this podcast or, you know, wherever this reaches, that there's, no, there's nothing that a person can offer that's too small. You know, I think our community really, really needs to come together after this. I mean, this is going to be huge, Brian. I mean, people haven't been working for a month. You know, it could go on even until the end of May. Our kids have been out of school. This is a lot of stuff that's going to happen. And so I would just encourage our communities to just, you know, continue to be safe during this pandemic, but just get ready to let's really just help each other and really care about each other. And, you know, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> All right. I really appreciate your time. Bishop Colette Matthews Carter, Senior Pastor of Zion Hill, World Harvest Baptist Church. If someone wants to access your ministry, how would they go about doing so? Yeah, we, um, they can just log on to um, the Zion Hill uh, World Harvest uh, Baptist Church uh, Facebook page. Uh, we have most of our, our things there. We also um, have an Instagram um, page as well, and we post some things there. All Zion Hill World Harvest Baptist Church, so it's we're pretty easy to find. Um, so yeah, just log on, and you know you'll be able to catch up with what we're doing. Awesome. 
I should also mention board member of the Alliance of Communities Transforming Syracuse. And I know that the, the banquet, which uh, was actually supposed to take place this month in April, has been postponed. Oh. Yeah, all the way to October. Oh no! Yeah, always that, that yeah. is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to have it. You know, I think it's yeah. It's be clear big... out of stuff, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you know, there might be some people wishing to come and attend that, and if they are, I'll I'll have more details about how they can do that as well. So, again, Bishop Colette, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much for for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you too. I appreciate uh, you taking out this time and. Let me share with you. I appreciate your time as well. If you are interested in learning more about the Alliance of Communities Transforming Syracuse's annual banquet, you can check their website, www.axe-syracuse.org. Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.